Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Praise God. Um, what a great privilege and honor to be here. Um, three and a half years ago, I was here last. So, um, but to be on this team and is, is just great because... God's doing something great here in Johannesburg and doing great, something great in this church. And I don't say that because you're just wonderful people. You know, you, you're gonna, you go to a good team like Chelsea or Rio Madrid, and you look, at, you look at the coaches and you go, with that coach, we can win. You know what I mean? You go get yourself a lemon coach and see how your team does. He'll choose just superstars who can't play in teams and they'll make bad decisions. But with the team you got in your, in your leadership here, I have full confidence in, in the future of this church. I just wanted to let you know. And I include myself on that team of coaches, by the way. <laughs> um, praise God. I, I just want to say that um, when Sharon was sharing, you know, when, when, this, when, when the pandemic hit, we have people all around the world and large numbers of Americans and the U.S. consulates got a hold of us and said, we will bring every one of your people home. We'll put airplanes on every country, Morocco, Amazon, I mean, Amazonas, Brazil, Laos, Cambodia. We'll put planes down and we'll bring everyone home. So I said it to the team. I said, guys, there's planes arriving for free. You can get on them, pack your bags, and the U.S. US is going to uh, repatriate you back to the U.S., but it's up to you if you want to go. I'm not blowing the whistle. You can go if you want. Do you know that not one person in Overland Missions left their assignment worldwide? They didn't get on the planes. The planes were there. Not one person in Overland Missions. Everyone else left. They were, they were, those planes were full. And it just left us to nations who just looked at us and said, we trust you. We trust these folks. And until the doors just opened. It just, it just opened for us. And so... It just, I just champion the courage and courageous spirit of our team worldwide, and I'm thankful for that. And that comes because of their love for the Word of God, you know, not just um, the fantasy of Christianity, but their love for Christ and His Word, and their anchor in that thing, you know. So I just want to share, I don't have a lot of time today, but um, I want to, I have to choose my words for 30 minutes, um, and and not and not get off on stories and, and testimonies because I only have this time and I want you to, to hear from me and I want to set direction um, for the church, for you in your mind, your psychology as a believer. And uh, these things will create successful works and great futures, not for you only, but also for the suburbs surrounding and the people that are aimlessly living their lives, that, that their future is, is dismal. And you are the hope for them. And so, if you would just take note of these points I'm going to throw at you and bring them into your, your philosophy of life. Um, Sharon and I were in Rome, and we were walking around. We, we went to Rome on one of our anniversaries. We never had time to tour Europe. We've been in Africa. People say, have you been to Europe? The flights never went via Europe. So we never in our entire lives ever went to Europe we traveled a lot, a lot more than anything you've, anyone you've ever met, we have traveled. I have not met people that have traveled as much as us. 
in, in international travels and nations upon nations and cities. And, but we never went to Europe. So we said, let's go to Rome and go look at the history of the church. And we went to Rome. And I can't do the tour thing. You know, I'm not the guy who follows the flag. I can't follow the flag. I was like, there goes the flag. I get my cup of coffee and watch people, you know. So we were loitering around Rome hand in hand. And uh, we get down to the Pantheon. It's this big building that's made out of concrete. It's the largest dome in the world in history out of concrete. And we're looking at this pamphlet that says, go to the Pantheon. And we stand in the Pantheon in this massive square. And I look up at the, at the writings on the largest concrete dome in the world. And it says, to King Agrippa. That's what it says, to King Agrippa. And all I know about King Agrippa is what Paul said to King Agrippa. So I shouted in the, in the square. He said, therefore, I was quoting the scripture in Acts chapter 26, verse 19. I quoted it. Therefore, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's what Paul said. Gets before the king, uh, and he's on trial, and he gets to share his testimony. And then he says, therefore, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Because Paul had every opportunity to bail. The Roman psychology, the Greek philosophy, everything against the gospel. Everything to compromise its strict um, rules and, and, and um, intention of the new creation and the work of, finished work of Jesus in the lives of people. Mix a little bit of philosophy in. Mix a little bit of Greece in. Put a bit of Roman religion in. Paul did not do it once in his life. In all of his life, he stayed pure to the revelation of who Jesus was and never bailed and, ne and never got derailed. And then got before King Agrippa and said, Therefore, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I want to tell you, there is an earthly vision. And it's being sent in messages to you all day long for you to take it, for you to grab it and live it. And, and, and everything has a vision for you. This nation, South Africa, has a vision for you. Be a great, unthreatening taxpayer. That's their vision. Don't threaten, don't threaten our political system. And just pay your taxes. And we'll keep you in suburbia. Don't get too rich. Because then you could maybe get an army against us. You know, there's a philosophy for you. And there's a philosophy for your kids in schools. Don't let them get radically religious. And get them to believe all of the messaging that we're going to give them so that we can control them as they go forward. There's a whole lot of... We can go on for hours on the strategy of this earth for you, the consumer, for you to buy, for you to, you to be controlled. You're about to, we're about to go into the season of cryptocurrencies worldwide. I promise you it's on our doorstep. And, and, we are lead, and coronavirus is leading us into it. Cryptocurrencies are going to take over the, the U.S. dollar currency of the world. And we are going to use digital currencies, Bitcoin and et cetera, but the Chinese are about to release theirs, being, being, being that 60% of the world product will be able to be bought on crypto overnight. Which means this, we don't want you to buy Jeep anymore. You can't buy it on our crypto. We don't want you to buy a South African product. We'll cripple that country if they don't listen to us, obey us, and 
take our philosophies. I mean, we are in the, we're in the, in the middle of the greatest battles of all times right now against the church. Because the only thing that stands against control is the Word of God, which is about to be called hate speech. So if you're reading the Bible on an, on an app, go get analog. <laughs> your, digital, your digital Bible will be edited very quickly, very soon. So we're in, the, in it, in the, in the battle, and it's, and it's just another battle. The battles have been as hot throughout the generations. Nothing to fear. But the attack on the church is in the identity of the church. If the identity of the church is crippled, we have nothing to stand on. Your identity. And recently, we've seen that attack massively globally. Um, and, and I want to reference Paul never giving in to an identity that wasn't in Christ Jesus when he said to Agrippa. It was about his identity. You know, we, we've, been, we've been, as a church, we've been pressurized to identify people by their epidermal layer. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to look at people by their skin color because it's not my gospel. It is not in the Word of God. I won't do it. You can try. You can bring historical things. I refuse to do it. it is, I cannot, through the gospel, see people by color. But we are being forced to. The woke movement is pushing the church to a narrative that we are getting forced to believe in. I, 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 had, I had to, and illogically, absolutely illogically, I, I was joking last Sunday to my church in Zambia, one of the churches we're ministering, and I said, you know, I said, the next thing is our rugby is going to be, is going to be um, uh, polluted by this, and we're going to have to have a transgender rugby team. Sure enough, Tuesday morning, the female rugby union has now agreed that transgender men can play in the female rugby team. I was like, the logic is just, is just going out the window. You know, we, we, we're in a time of, of manipulation where we don't have a voice anymore because we've given, really given up our voice as a church. But guys, I want to share with you um, the, the, the power that we have as believers, and it can never be underestimated. And so it's basically, I'll, I'll go back to the, 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 the design of God sending Jesus to the earth at the time he sent him. Like if you had a marketing strategy and a voice and, a, and a, a brand to sell, would you send it in the time when there was no phones, no radio, no television? Elon Musk had not launched Starlink. And the messaging that you had was within the sound of your voice. That's all you had. Would you send it then? That's the worst time within our marketing structures to send that messaging. Surely he should have waited until Elon launched this, the, the complete um, satellite network, until the broadband internet was throughout the world, and say 2035, every person on the earth had a smartphone. Do it then. That sounds like a better strategy, doesn't it? But no, he sends him in the time when there is, he sends the greatest viral media plan ever to hit the earth since the beginning of the earth to the end of times in a time when he can only touch someone that he can see. 
Surely he, either he's, he was mistaken and dumb or we the dumb ones in thinking that our influence of humanity is based on the media, the power of our media. But I, I wager this morning that Jesus was right, that the viral media, the viral influence of the, of the life of God is most powerful when it comes from one human to another human. I'll tell you one year, it was about seven years ago, I, I, I said to Overland Missions globally, I said, okay, this year, we're taking every video off the shelf. Every printed media we took off the shelf to globally. You couldn't sell our organization with, with any printed or video media for a whole year. We said, you, you have to actually tell people now. You can't say, hey, here's a brochure, and they walk away. Think they're going to read it. You have to describe what would be in a brochure. Don't give them a video. There's no video. Nothing to show them. You've got to tell them and let their imagination see it. Do you know that we quadrupled that year? Quadrupled in everything. Globally. Quadrupled. And, um, and so I want to go, I want to go to Paul. I want to, I want to, I'm going to throw these, these, these illustrations at you to persuade you that your life right here, right now, is the most valuable thing that God has in his hands. And it's you personally, with your personality, with your weaknesses, with your stuttering, with your bad hairdo and your, your bad fashion or whatever you think you got or don't got, everything you are is his most valuable means to his influence in the generation. Paul gets a, a, a vision in um, Acts chapter 17. He, um, actually, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, he gets a vision of a man, a dream of a man calling him from Macedonia. So if you haven't read this, read it at home. It's Acts chapter 16. He has a dream. In the dream is a man. Okay. So it is gender-centered. It is a man who comes to him and, and in the dream calls him to Macedonia. He at the time was in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, Arabic, Turkey, Turkey, Philippi, um, Ephesus, which is an Arabic country at the time. Macedonia is Greece, Greek, different race group, totally different race. In those times, the races were even worse than ours because you couldn't travel from one to the other. So he gets a dream of a Greek person, a Macedonian male, call him to Macedonia. But he's in, he's in, in Asia Minor. So he gets, on a he gets on a boat, you can read it, and he gets all the way across the Adriatic up into Philippi to the coastland. And he walks to Philippi, the first city in, um, in Macedonia. When he gets to Macedonia, he finds this person in the dream. Her name's Lydia. Finds a woman. Her name's Lydia. So Lydia welcomed him into his house, into the, her house, and he led her to Christ, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the power of God touched Lydia. Paul was done. 
I'm moving, to, moving down to Athens. Moving to Athens. He didn't discriminate. His vision of the person in front of him was not gender-centered. It wasn't, I saw a man in a dream, I'm only going to preach to a man. It was any human that the power of God touches, fat, thin, tall, short, male, female, black, white, Asian, Chinese, anyone. And I want to say Chinese because people are discriminating against the Chinese now because of their, their pseudo-colonialism of Africa. But still, that's the Chinese, it's any, anyone before Paul was acceptable. Anyone. Doesn't matter in the dream, Lord, if it was a male. It's a human. I got her, Lydia. Lydia gets filled, now here's historically, for, you know, we, went to, we went to Philippa. The next time we went to Europe, we decided we're following Paul to Philippa. Yep, we jump on a, we go, we jump on a, we get trained it from Athens. Or, I don't know, how do we get to, we rented a car. And we rent up to Thessalonica, the little church in Thessalonica that we know that it's up there. And then we jumped across to Philippi and we just looked, at, looked around to find out when we landed in Philippi that we went to the house of Lydia where Paul landed. And he thought he'd worked, done his work in Philippi. He had, he had met the, the criteria of the dream by meeting Lydia. So we go to Lydia's house to find out that in, in, in church history, according to the Greeks, that the gospel of Jesus Christ came to the whole of Europe, all of the Anglo-Saxon um, generation, which ultimately brought the gospel to Africa, came through Lydia. Lydia was the voice that took the gospel to Europe, which ultimately got me saved eventually, and probably all of you. Paul could see it. Other people would have walked past Lydia. She was the one, she was a business lady, who was, who was, who was um, dyeing purple cloth. Paul's vision was not that of an average person. When he was shouting at King Agrippa, his eyes were filled with fire because he knew, when I look at a human, I don't see them the way you see. I can't one day just start accepting your Greek philosophy and your Roman philosophy. I have seen humans differently. So Lydia brings the gospel to Europe. He leaves he leaves um, Philippi and he treks down to Athens. If you know the way, it's it's you could come from from Macedonia, from the Asia Minor, Ephesus, Philippi, and the churches there, and then come across to Thessalonica, Philippi, Philippi in in Macedonia, and then down to Athens. You got to move down, so you go in the opposite direction from Israel, Jerusalem, where he was he was eventually going to go to. Gets to. Athens. Now, Athens was the center of the Greek religion, which used to be the Roman religion, and the the um, the twelve Greek gods were there, which became the twelve Roman gods. And 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 in Athens, the temple of Athena, you had the picture of all the twelve gods there, and it's quite. They're still there today if you go and stand stand and, and visit it. So we go down to Athens. And, we, and I wanted to go and see where Paul stood and preached in Athens. So he goes down to Athens and he stands on this rock called the Areopagus. Uh, uh, so it's a little rock called the Areopagus that he preaches the, the sermon called the Sermon on Mars Hill, the Sermon of the Unknown God, if you read it in Acts chapter 17. So he preaches to these, these atheists these, and these um, 
Greek philosophers and these ex and these Roman Roman philosophers, they were all there looking at their gods and worshiping their gods, which was a powerful religion at the time, swaying the entire nation. So he stands on this little rock, and today that rock has still not been built on. It's an ugly little rock with weeds and rocks, and you stand there, you go, the greatest message ever preached to to, to Athens, to Greece, was preached from this place, but they haven't actually, no one's actually seen it. He preaches to the unknown God from the Eropagus. And it says there, Acts chapter 17, and when he was done, two people responded to his message. Damaris, a woman, and Dionysus. Domitian was the, was the Roman emperor. Dionysus. It's like names like Dionysus. Who is this man? You know, Dionysus responds to the gospel in Damaris. Dionysus. I'm there. We go, who's Dionysus? We find out. Dionysus. Dionysus gets saved by Paul on that, on that moment. Gets on fire for God. Single-handedly with his, obviously, crew of disciples, wipes the Greek religion off the map in his lifetime. Never, ever to be worshipped again. And the Roman religion. To this day, there is no church that worships Zeus. Dionysus. Fire of God hits a man. Paul looks at him. Dionysus, you won't believe what will take place if you accept this gospel. He leaves, goes to Corinth. Dionysus takes on Athens. Today in Athens... In the Greek Orthodox Church, the patron saint of Athens is Dionysus. This guy was so mean, he just took out everything and was ultimately beheaded in, in 102 AD. Um, but so powerful was it, and Paul could see in, in Dionysus' life, the whole nation change. So when he writes to the Corinthians, he goes to Corinth, he writes to the Corinthian church, which is by the, it's continuing west from Athens. It's about two hours by car. Goes to Corinth and the church is planted and he spends two years in Corinth, I think a long time. And while he was there, he only baptized one family, the family of Stephanus. Maybe he bleats at the, at the Corinthian church. I'm glad I never baptized you all. You would have called me a God too. Because you want to worship Apollos and you want to worship me. And now, but I only baptized this, the household of Stephanus. Because he got to spend time with one guy by the name of Stephanus. Go read it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I think it's first. I'll tell you the word. I'll tell you the scripture. It's verse 15. He says, Remember, this is at the end of the chapter. Of the chapter one, he says, I baptized Stephanus. The end of the chapter, he says, Remember the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of the whole of Asia. So when he was with Stephanus, he wasn't saying, Hey, Stephanus, how's the weather? Stephanus, you realize that through you, the whole of Asia will be shaken. Every religion, every message that's been coming against a generation all these hundreds of years will be canceled because of the opinion of your life. Just one. It just takes us. It just takes you finding someone else 
Actually, I, 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 I share this story, um, two quick stories, and then, and then we're closed, because I think I've landed the message. I think you got it. You're getting it. You got it. Um, I sent Jake to Congo, Jake's white figure to Congo, and, and, and reluctantly to go to DRC Congo. Tough nation. Tough. So he went into Congo, and we, we were just going blind. We don't, don't know anyone. The, the, the governor of the southern province of, of Congo at the time was, was um, a governor of um, Kantumbi. The governor was, is, he was governor for 30 years. He was so rich that he owned an airline with 747s, Kantumbi Airlines. So you must know, these guys are, get these gold mines and these copper mines, and they're just coining it. And, they, and if Kantumbi doesn't agree with you, you get nothing done. Zero. And we're going into Congo. We don't know Kantumbi. We know nobody. We're getting fined hundreds of dollars every time just for being present. Stop your car. Ah, there's something wrong with your car. No, sir, there's nothing wrong. I will find something. <laughs> just dollars. Just, just, just dirk the dollars. Just, you know. Um, it was tough. So... Jake, Jake got a taxi driver, could speak English, a guy by the name of Gaston. I actually shared this with you last three and a half years ago, but if you weren't there, you, you'll share it again. Gaston. Gaston says, speak English, speak French. Let's go. So they go north, looking at these towns in the north. Gaston gets the fire of God on him because he's hanging out with Paul's. People will look at the taxi driver and go, you're not just a taxi driver. You realize that. Through you could be the first fruits of the whole of Congo. Because eyes, our eyes are changed. We refuse to, be, to discriminate by flesh. We refuse to see people after the flesh. I will not be woke. I have a whole higher standard, much higher. New creation in Christ Jesus. That's the, they stole our word anyway. Bible says, awake, go sleeper. It's our word. Anyway, um, Gaston becomes a, 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 a team member in Overland Missions. We put him through law school, becomes a lawyer. Because in Congo, if you don't have a lawyer on your team, you get nothing done. Because they're suing you everywhere. They're taking your money. You sh- and a lawyer is, a get- is above the law in Congo. So you, you can't imprison a lawyer. You can't find a lawyer because they are the lords. That's the way they do it. It's quite interesting. So we have a lawyer now on our team, Gaston. About four and a half years later, here's Gaston. Gaston um, sets our paperwork up. We spend about $16,000, I think, on paperwork to be registered in Congo. That's flying to Kinshasa, flying back to Labambashi, flying back to Kinshasa for a paperwork that has to be stamped with colored stamps. You know, photo- they don't have photocopiers there. I don't know what, why. They have to make a certain color stamp for every single department on every page. and must be the original page from when you first started registering. So you've got this file with all these papers, and they all get colored stamps, and they're all valuable because if you lose one of them, it's back to square one, another 16,000, you know? So it's like this paperwork running back and forth. And so it's just flying for stamps. Fly, take another flight for another stamp. Flights. So he's carrying the paperwork. We get a phone call. Gaston is killed in a motor car accident in north of Labambashi, and there's a picture of his body on the side of the road, and there's our paperwork strewn across the road. This is like the end, end, of, end of our seven-year run in Congo. So we, we get Castor's cousin. We put him through law school, and he's now our representative. 
It was about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I get a message. Kantumbi, the governor, is no longer the governor after 30 years. Wow. Who's the governor? Oh, you won't believe it. Gaston's older brother. Your taxi driver. He's, I didn't even know he had an older brother. His older brother, to this day, right now, is governor of southern province of Congo, of which his brother watched us hire his brother, hire Gaston, put him through, pay for the funeral, look after him, and we have an open door in Congo. So do you think if I started a media campaign to reach Congo on WhatsApp and Facebook, I would get those doors? No, it, was the t- it, meant, a ta- it meant a, pres- a person present in Labambashi, in a taxi, looking at somebody and going, your life matters. And whatever messaging you've heard about yourself, racially, economically, educationally, it's all not true. Until you hear the word of God and he says he put inside of you an incorruptible seed of God in you by faith through the new creation. It's in you right now, every single one of you. And it's a seed of greatness and it can do anything if you just realize it. You just see it. When Peter got to the gate called Beautiful and the man was begging arms of him. I don't know if you read the scripture. It says this. And Peter, fixing his eyes on him. I love that part said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give unto you. Fixing his eyes. It was like Peter had something in his eyes. I'm going to look at you, and you're going to know that. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, you know what I see? Do you know what I see? I don't see a lame man. I don't see, a, a blind, I don't see the man who's been discriminated against for 37 years because he can't walk in this society. I can't see it. I know you're trying to sell me that story, but I can't see it. He says he fixes his eyes on him, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I have, I give unto you. Get up and walk. The faith that was in him was able to, to um, produce that miracle in his life. Lastly, lastly, I was in, years ago, we were, we, we were traveling Africa, 2003, trucking our trucks were all over and we were just pioneering this organization and <clears throat> I went into Zanzibar at that time it was it was um, it was a 99.9% Muslim island and we had one contact on the island and we had these revival meetings on Zanzibar and it was powerful weeks of meetings and um, in a central church and Eventually, it turned out to be 17 churches on the island that they pioneered through that church movement. Very, very great. Well, the, the son of the pastor, uh, Yusuf Halfan, who these were Muslims that had all been saved and born again, becoming Christians. Yusuf traveled with us for two years. So I took the son, you travel with me, and we went all over the world. Remember, when I'm looking at Yusuf, I don't see a Zanzibari. I don't see a... Uh, whatever, whatever the nation, I just see, whatever I just see the new creation. I see the hand of God through His finished work, and anything's possible. So I'm communicated to Yusuf. Yusuf says, "Hey, I, I um, what do I do? Do I become a, a pastor? Do I become a business leader? What do I do as a as a as a Zanzibari?" So I said, "Yusuf, it's up to you. Don't be stig- fall into the stigma of just what I'm doing." become a pastor because you met me. Do what God's telling you to do. Anyway, he said, well, I want to be a lawyer. So we helped him become a lawyer. 
Zanzibari lawyer. Remember, every Christian has no legal defense on Zanzibar. You go to jail, you don't have a legal, it's a Muslim defense. So he becomes a lawyer, becomes a lawyer in Zanzibar. Now, to this day, has the largest law practice on Zanzibar and represents the previous prime minister, president of Zanzibar. In the, his law practice was the law practice representing the president of Tanzania. So, so Yusuf, Yusuf's business starts taking off. We break into Morocco. We put our people into Tangiers and, and down in, in, in Fez and and um, um, Marrakesh. And we're putting people there to, to touch the, the Burkas and the, and, the, and, and the Atlas Mountains. And we want to do something for God in that area. And we're struggling in, in, in Morocco because the, the law is against us. You can't proselyte. You can't start business. It's hard. How do you get in smoke and mirrors with tourist visas and all the stuff? Yusuf phones me. Yusuf, my young Zanzibari follower running around Africa has now become a lawyer. He phones me. He says, you won't believe it. I just became the legal representative of the king of Morocco from Zanzibar for all of his investments and companies in sub-Saharan Africa. I'm the lawyer and I have a brilliant idea. <laughs> so what? We are permitted to create a company in Tanzania and export it to Morocco. You're allowed to export. He was allowed, he figured it out, you could export a company to Morocco. I'm like, what? You can create a Christian entity here, export it to Morocco. You don't have to go through the paperwork and the scrutiny that's going to axe you on the other side. You know, then God opens a door through a man that everyone just would have said, yeah, you're just going to become another poor Zanzibari just fishing for little, little small, small fishing nets on the side there like everybody else. Next thing, God uses a man to open the doors for a great organization in countries like Morocco. So what I'm sharing today, guys, is that, is that in the power, God's vision, God's strategy was Jesus at a time when there was only face-to-face. It was His strategy. It's the most powerful. DNA is only imparted by human touch. If you're running a company and a business and you want to you want to create a brand and have a flow, a DNA, a Let's call it a, a Disney, Disneyland brand where Disneyland, you know something about Disney. If you, if you meet a Disneyland person and they're in um, costume, what do you call it? In character. They say every single person who works for Disney has to be in character. In other words, you're not just coming to work. You're actually getting character to work. That's why it's such a perfect brand. And they kept it perfectly seamlessly because they had this philosophy of character. If you want to keep the character and the, and the DNA of your company, you have to spend time with your people physically. <laughs> you can't just print a manual and give it to them and say, hey, there we go. You'll do what, what, what I expect now. No, they will do their own thing. And your company will be stay, remain small and, and, and non-productive. But when you invest, when, when you use these principles of the word where you invest by touch, by, by physical touch, the DNA of your life is imparted. And the DNA of Jesus is imparted by touch. And so the answer to this neighborhood, this city, sits in the room. Sits in the room, that side of the pulpit. Not on the media side, not on the presentation side. You know, as I got up, 
Adrian said, do you want water? And shall I open the lid? I said, Adrian, I'm intentionally not professional. <laughs> I don't want to be professional preacher because it doesn't work for the congregation. It doesn't work in the generation. Don't rely on, on, on some perfect performance to, to reach your generation. It's through you. And, and you are equipped and qualified and perfected. If you came in today and you were analyzing or auditing your life by all that you've done in your past or not done, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because His blood is enough to cleanse you and cleanse your memory of every failure that was in your life because it was there to dwarf you, to create a bonsai Christian out of you. Some, some smaller version of what you're supposed to be. It's there's memories, they lies. Jesus was coming to give you an opinion, not a religion. You know, he, he, Paul said, he said, I have a revelation of Jesus, of Him in me, of His revelation in me, not to me. There was a power in the opinion which created a brand new identity way outside of race, out of gender, out of all these things. And so the power of God is in you and in this room and there is no fault in His church. And so here we are today, a great church with a great future and, and, a, and, a, and a massive war looming of opinions. It's a war of opinions. Will you be in His opinion? Will you be, will you woke to the world, to CNN and BBC and all of the, all of the things? Or are you going to believe the opinion of the Word of God, of who we are? It's such a higher level of thinking. Praise God. So as we close to, to this morning, there's a couple of things that I believe God wants to do. Yeah. He wants to touch your eyes. Do you know the, the, the church at Laodicea, I kind of believe we're in a Laodicean period, you know. If you read that in Revelations, there was seven churches, seven epochs of time. The Laodicean church was an epoch of time of which we're in. Do you know what the healing for the church in Laodicea was? Ourself. The way you see. I will touch your eyes with ourself, and you will not see yourself the same. You will not see others the same. So this morning... I believe God wants to touch your eyes as a church. You get, people are going to come to Anchor Church and they go, something different about those people. Every time they look at me, I feel like free. I feel like they see something great in me. It's like across the whole church. Somehow they all have it. They don't see through the eyes of old South Africa, new South Africa, you know, Sadek nation, American philosophy, it's something different about the way. Some eye salve that touch their eyes and they all look differently. And then, explosion. This church will cannot, will not contain the volume of people that will flood to this thing because of the way that vision is. I promise you, that's the secret. Amen. So would you stand with me this morning? Just put your hands on your eyes. Father, as... We touch our eyes this morning. Jesus, put your hand on our eyes. Let us look like Peter down at the, the man at the gate, beautiful, and intently be able to look. Let us look at our problems the way you see them, our issues the way you see them. I rebuke a spirit of depression that tries to come into this church and over lives. 
If you suffered from depression, right now I cast that thing off you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. You will not see yourself the same way after this. In Jesus' name. And as you touch your eyes, let the anointing, the power of the blood of Jesus touch your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You came into this meeting as with a track record of failure. And that failure has followed you and it's followed you and it seems like you can't get rid of it. It's, it's a memory you can't erase. It's gone from you today. The memory is gone from you in Jesus' name. It's not His opinion of you. He doesn't see you through that, through those eyes of that memory. It's gone from you in Jesus' name. Touch these eyes, Lord. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And one last thing. As you touch your eyes, there's entrepreneurs in the building that God's got His hand on you. And He's got a vision for you to create wealth. And He needs you to see it the way He sees it. As you touch your eyes, Father, right now, let that vision and the anointing touch their life.